living in exciting times, you guys. I'm telling you, this is going to be a great City Kids camp. And let me just say welcome to everybody who's here and online. But if you want to go to City Camp, haven't signed up, maybe it's expenses, whatever, we want to help you go. There's scholarships. We want to make sure every child in this church and outside of this church can go to camp. So make sure you get signed up. Okay. And then let me just say there's a Mexico mission sign up right after this service if you're interested in going to Mexico in October. And also, there's a barbecue baptism service. It'll be July 31st right after this service. And uh, we're going to have some fun that Sunday. So put that on your agenda. And hopefully, there'll be more here than are here today. But I'm so glad you guys are all here. The weather's turning and you're still here. So that's good news. Okay, uh, why don't we all turn in our Bibles to Psalm 11, Matthew 7. While you're turning there, I just want to give a big thanks to Pastors Cameron, Jimmy, and Jen, and several others that filled in in the pulpit. Well, I've been out kind of wandering around having a good time the last number of weeks. So can you give them a big hand? I think they have done a great job filling in while I've been uh, on a little break. Let me give you a Ukraine update as well. We've been sending several thousands of dollars to Bulgaria to the Red Cross there and through Angel Palev, who has a great church there. And uh, they've been taking vans of food and clothing and uh, medical supplies into the Ukraine. And Angel called me this week. We had a FaceTime talk. And he told me that as he drove it the last time in there, he went to a village that had about 300 people. Everyone had been killed except three. They were in the town square praying to be rescued. An angel drove up and rescued them. So pretty cool. He said, Ukraine is on the edge of revival. You know, revival comes not when things are good. It usually comes when things are bad and you have to turn towards God. I'm praying that America will turn to God before things get worse. Come on. Okay, so uh, also I just want to say our Africa team is back, and we're so glad you're here. If you're, if you're from the Africa team, just wa- wave your hand a little bit. These, they kind of congregate. So glad you're here, you guys. And we hope to hear from you over the weeks ahead. Okay, today we're going to begin a new series called how do I know, dot, dot, dot. And each week, we're going to ask a question for the rest of the summer on how do I know today is there is a God. And so I'm going to talk to you today, and over the several weeks, we'll give you many different topics. But today, I want to approach this topic like we're sitting in my living room or maybe at a coffee place or at my home, sitting across the table from each other, and I want to address it this way because I want you to know, I, I want you to know I'm addressing it on how do I know there is a God. So this is more personal. It's about my personal study, my personal experiences, and my personal conclusions. And I realize as we go through this, uh, some of you may be saying, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I believe in a God. So I just want you to know, we want to be able to have a discussion. I realize it's a one-way discussion today, but if you don't like my discussion, you can corner me afterwards. But if we disagree, hopefully we can disagree agreeably, all right? That's my heart. 
So today simply is this, how do I know there is a God? So let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, uh, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Lift up mine, say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 11.3 says this, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I would suggest you go and read that whole chapter because what the righteous do is they call out on God. So for something or someone to stand, it has to have a strong foundation for any nation, family, or individual to stand You have to have a strong foundation. For any foundation to be strong, it has to be dug deep. For example, the world's tallest building is in Dubai, and uh, it's 163 floors, and its foundation is 164 feet deep with tons of concrete to embrace it. The Empire State Building, uh, its foundation is only 55 feet deep, It's 103 stories, and the reason it's only 55 feet deep is because it's built on shale rock, so it's got a good uh, solid surface to be built on. The Columbian Center in Seattle, it's the tallest building up there. It has 76 floors, and its foundation is 120 feet deep because the soil that it's built on, which is soft. The Space Needles Foundation is only 30 feet deep, and 120 feet wide. And that's so that it can balance the way it does. Now, all these buildings are supposedly earthquake proof, but I would not want to be in them when an earthquake comes. So my heart is that people will want to be around your life when the storms and earthquakes come because they can trust in you that you're not going to go anywhere. All right? Now, Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 29 tells us how to build a strong foundation and how to survive storms and earthquakes and such. But it also tells us how certain believers haven't built deep, and it tells us that in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In other words, these people would practice godliness in front of another group of people or in front like on Sunday, but live like the world the rest of the week. So your foundation matters. How you live matters. 
And uh, verses 24 through 29 tell us about the wise and the foolish builders. Verse 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. My heart is that when I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. That there's the authority of God's word coming into your life to change you and to convict you, but in a good way, to become the man and one of God he's called you to be. Now, we are all building our lives, and what you build on is extremely important. Your foundation will determine your worldview and the values you choose to live by and whether your life will stand when the storms and the earthquakes come in your life. And they will, by the way. So on your notes, there's a question. The first question is, how did you get your worldview? Everyone has one. So here you are now. Well, how did you get it? A worldview, by the way, means someone who, what someone thinks about the world, how someone thinks about it. So your worldview is the foundation to help you answer questions that come in your life and what you or, or what or what see and what or who you build your foundation from determines your decisions and your choices. When I graduated from high school, I thought I knew what I believed. I thought I knew my worldview. And so I thought I knew what I believed about God, about the Bible about work, about marriage, about family, about church, about creation, about economics, and about government, and you could just name a whole bunch of other stuff. I believe government was responsible for managing existing laws and making just a few laws here and there once in a while to protect its citizens when necessary. Since this nation has been birthed, there's been about two trillion laws made. That just tells you how far it goes, all right? Over 600 federal laws are made every two years, not counting state and local laws. It seems to me the Ten Commandments would have just worked just fine. But just like the Pharisees got Ten Commandments, they had to add to those commandments 613 laws. And every man, woman, and child by the time they were 12, had to know those 613 laws. Try to memorize two trillion. That's why we make laws, but most of them aren't enforced. So they, they provide laws to help its citizens. They provide security and control like police, fire, and, and local protection. Uh, the government is to, supposed to protect from external dangers, a military to protect and secure our borders, on land and on air and on the sea to protect us from our enemies. And then government is to provide for its citizens certain needs. It was never meant to take God's place. 
It was meant only to assist God and the church in doing what it should be doing. So I thought I knew my worldview in all those areas, and I was raised as a Christian, but I never had to defend my faith until I got into college. And one class started causing me to have all sorts of questions about my faith and my worldview. My psychology professor told us he didn't believe in God or the existence of God. He believed in evolution and that we came from the Big Bang and eventually evolved from monkeys to mankind. So this will show you. He put up a big chart so I could see myself. And that's where I started, down there as a little tyke, little, little monkey. Then I grew into an ape, and then I grew into myself, all right? So he puts up this chart and tells us that over billions of years, maybe trillions of years, this is how Neanderthals have become homo sapiens, and we are such a great group of people because out of chaos came order. I've never seen that happen ever. I went into my kids' room where there are clothes all over, and I never saw it get into order by itself. And truthfully, what happens, it shook my faith because I never had a question before. I grew up around people who believed in creation and no one ever questioned it and I didn't know how to defend it. Now, the reason this professor shook my faith so much and my worldview is because he was the college coach, uh, a football coach at Grace Harbor College, and he was my brother's and my sister-in-law's father. So... Uh, my brother Pinky and his wife's father. So I also know, I knew he and his family attended a mainline church, and I was surprised a person who attended church did not believe in God. But I'm finding it's becoming more frequent all the time. So week after week, I remember coming home and questioning everything I'd ever learned about God, about the Bible, and creation, and just about everything I had grown up, been taught to to believe. And statistics show this. This is why it's so important for you to know what you believe. Statistics show when Christian kids leave home for college that during that four-year stint, 59% leave their faith. I remember my mom, as I came home and told her, it's your fault the way I am. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be this way. If it wasn't for dad, I wouldn't be this way. And I don't know what to believe about your God, your faith, your Bible, your church. I'll never forget her looking me in the eye and saying, maybe it's time for you to figure out who is your God. And maybe you need to study it out for yourself. So I did. I started studying it out. And uh, here, you can write this down. There is a correct worldview. Now, you may not like what I'm saying. That's okay. You can have your point of view. We can discuss it. I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm telling you how I know there is a God. It's, it's how you see. Remember, again, uh, your worldview is how you see the world. It's how you see life. And that view should guide you and direct you and help, help you answer questions that come uh, in your life as you live it out. Now, the reason I believe Christianity is a correct worldview is because any worldview should answer four issues. Here are the four areas and four issues. And they are origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So any worldview should answer those questions. And on your notes, I have four questions to help you 
keep it. So you, and I would recommend, if you don't do this, keep these notes. Put them in your Bible somewhere so you can refer back to them. Here's the first question. Origin. Origin answers the question, how did I get here? And I, have I, as I've studied all these different religions and science, I can tell you this. Christianity has the best answer of how you got here. Every human being wants to know the answer to that question. Like the little girl who asked her mother, how, how did the human race appear? The mother answered, God made Adam and Eve, and then uh, they had children, and so all was mankind, all mankind was made. Two days later, the girl asked her father the same question. Dad, uh, how did, how did uh, humankind come into being? The father answered, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. The confused girl, which I think there's a lot of confusion today, the confused girl returned to her mother and said, Mom, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God and Dad told me they developed from monkeys? The mother answered, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family and your father told you about his. <laughs> All right, here's the second question. <laughs> Meaning answers the question, why am I here? So once you decide, okay, God made me or whatever you want to, if you think you came from a monkey, whatever it might be, the question is, why am I here? I think God answers that question better than any, any religion and any explanation I've ever heard. What's the purpose of my life? Why did God put me here at this time and in this place and give me the giftings that I have to make a difference? Here's the third question. The third question is about morality. It answers this question, how do I define good and evil? I'll come back to that in just a few moments. But there's a lot of confusion today about what is good and what is evil. Number four is destiny. It answers the question, what happens to me after death? Now, as I look, as I look at these four questions, these questions that every human being wants to know the answer to, and as I've talked to teenagers and adults and students and, and all of that, especially when a loved one has passed away, they're asking these four questions, but the fourth one is the one they're most interested in. What happens to me after I die? And what I've found in my studies of beliefs and about religions, I have found there's only one worldview that answers all four of these questions in a way that makes sense and is logical to me. How many know there's logical faith? So evolution doesn't answer these four questions. In fact, it doesn't tell us what happens after death. It doesn't even tell us where it came from. The problem with evolution, once you see the monkeys, you want to know where the first monkey came from. Well, it came from the Big, big Bang. Well, where did the stuff that caused the Big Bang, where did it come from? Nobody can ever answer it. Did you know that evolution is still referred to in science books as the theory of evolution? And most of us don't know how long it's been a theory. So would you like to know? It has been referred to as a theory for 163 years. It's the longest theory science has ever had. And I'm talking theory, which means conjectural and subject to experimentation and still remo remains an unproven fact. 
Now, many people don't know this, and yet they believe evolution is a fact, but the theory of evolution began with Charles Darwin, who wrote a book called The Origin of Species in 1859. And in that book, he uses, I want you to hear this because when you get taught this, it all came from Darwin. He uses two entire chapters to doubt his own theory. One of those chapters is on the human eye. And he said in that chapter, just thinking about the human eye and its complexity would disprove my theory. I had some t- somebody tell me in the last service, not only study the human eye, study out the eardrum and how it works. I'm just telling you the complexity, how chaos came into order like that, you'll never know. My brother is an optometrist, and he said, as he had to study out the human eye, there's no possible way I could ever believe my eyeballs came from goo, you know, whatever. He also said this, if scientific, scientific evidence, I'm talking about Darwin now, does not come forth in a reasonable, a reasonable amount of time to prove this theory, then time disproves my theory. So here we are today. It's been 163 years since the theory of evolution was introduced, and there is no evidence that one species has ever mutated to another species. It is called what we call today the missing link. With all of our scientific knowledge, we still can't prove this theory, yet in many cases, it's taught as fact, not a theory. Now, within a species, we evolve and change. I know this might be hard to believe, but at one time, I was 22 inches and seven and a half pounds, and I've evolved into this massive hulk of almost six feet tall, give it a couple, few inches, and 180 pounds, somewhere in there, of solid muscle. So I have evolved just like you, all right? But no species has evolved into another species. You would think there'd be a fossil of it somewhere, but there's no record of it anywhere. Evolution also teaches we are time, matter, and chance. In other words, we are metaphysical, which means we don't know what happens after this life is over. The problem we have with this presentation is that we are, we are, if we are only matter, then why do we react to someone passing away from COVID, cancer, or a car wreck, or something else? The reason we react and feel sad is because We are not just matter or goo, but we have a soul. We have a spirit, and they have feelings and thoughts, and you have the ability to choose, and you and I are not just time, matter, and chance. We are God's creation. Okay, so let's look at number two, question number two, morality. How do I define good and evil? Many people say morality is subjective. In other words, What's bad to me or wrong to me may be good to you. So that all sounds good. You're so deep. Wow, how'd you get so deep? Well, first of all, that's a horrible way to define morality. So let me ask you this question. If you think morality is subjective, do you lock your doors at night? Do you lock your car when you go into the mall? Do you leave your purse in the car? No. Why? 
because you're afraid of somebody's subjective morality. That's why. In other words, someone might not believe it is wrong to enter your home, home and rob you and shoot you. Somebody might not think it's wrong to crash the window of your automobile and steal your purse. Stealing and murder has always been wrong. So there's a correct worldview, just like I said. All right? Now, here's, a, here's another point you can write down. There are no atheists. It is scientifically impossible to be an atheist. And here's what I mean by that. The word science means knowledge. Webster's Dictionary defines science as this. Knowledge about or the study of the natural world based on facts learned through experiments and observation. That's Merriam-Webster. Now, if, if it is science, that means you've had to study it and base your knowledge on facts and experiments, right? Okay. So based on the word atheist, the word the, which is like theos, it comes from the Greek word God, which is theo. A, just the letter A, is an antonym, which means opposite or not or no. So the word literally means no God. Now, in order for you and I to say something exists, you've had to study it, experiment, and observe the facts to back it up. But in order to say something doesn't exist, you have to have all knowledge. You have to know everything to say this doesn't exist. For an example, I use this in first service, so I'll use it again. If you came to me and said, there is no city called Aberdeen, Washington, I would say, how do you know? Show me your study. Show me how you came to that knowledge and conclusion. What experiments and observations brought you to that conclusion? Otherwise, it is not scientific. It is just your opinion. If you say there is no Aberdeen, Washington, then I would also ask, have you been to every city in Washington State? And if you haven't been to every city in Washington State or studied every city, then you cannot definitively say there is no Aberdeen, Washington. I can say there is an Aberdeen, Washington because I've been there and I've lived there. And by the way, it's nothing like Aberdeen, Scotland, which is over 250,000 people. It's nothing like Aberdeen, South Dakota, which has 28,500 people. And it is the third largest city in South Dakota. We would be big if we were there. Now, Aberdeen, Washington is really a great city to grow up in, and I, I think it's a great place to raise a family, despite what other people say. Anyways, I know Aberdeen exists because I grew up here, and I live here, and I have knowledge of this place. I also know a city called Hoquiam. Some people call it Hoquiam, whatever. Hoquiam. But anyway, I know it exists because Aberdeen played Hoquiam in sports. And we beat them in football and basketball and baseball every year. That was 50s, 60s, and 70s. And some 80s. And then things changed. Hockeyans started hocking up on us. And, and Montesano became even better than the other two. And so there you go. And it's a sad day for Aberdonians in that area. All right. 
Now, in the same way, you can't say there is no God if you don't have all knowledge. Okay, let's just talk about that for a moment. How much of all knowledge does the smartest person in the world have? All knowledge, all knowledge, I'm talking about the smartest person in the world, all history of every culture that exists and now and has ever existed. If you're the smartest person, how much do you know? How much do you know about mathematics? How much do you know about algebra, geometry, calculus? How how much science do you know? How much do you know about every language in the world? There are over 7,000 languages on the earth today and over the time that the earth was created, there's been over 31,000 languages that existed. How many of them do you know? And we are trying to figure out how much of all knowledge that you know since we're trying to figure this out. Do you know every vowel, every consonant, every adjective, every conjugate, or can you conjugate? uh, Anyway, can you conjugate every verb? I know some of you think I did that when I got married. No, that's not what that means. That means putting together, putting together. Okay, I'm sorry. Couldn't help myself. All right, where was it? So how much all knowledge does the smartest person in the world possess? The smartest people in the world will tell you the answer is less than 1%. By the way, in 2020, the smartest person in the world was Christopher Langan, and he made this statement. You can prove the existence of God, the soul, and an afterlife using mathematics. Now, he's not considered the smartest person in the world anymore. He's just the smartest person in the United States. His IQ is like 212, something like that. But it's told the smartest people in the world possess less than 1% of the world's knowledge. So, but let's just say you, you are the smartest person in the world. So let me ask you this. Is it possible that 99% of all knowledge you do not possess, that something exists that you do not know about? Yes. The only way to answer that is to say yes. And it's also not only a possibility, it's a mathematical probability. So since that is a possibility, you can't say God doesn't exist. That's why there's no such thing as an atheist, all right? And, and so, but you can't say this. I don't know if there is a God. Instead of saying there is no God, you can say, I don't know if there is a God, and that would be called an agnostic. Gnosticism means knowledge, and the A in front of the Gnosticism is an antonym, and it means I don't know. So you can say, I don't know if there is a God, and I think that's a good, fair statement. You cannot say definitively, though, there is no God. If you do say it, I would have to say you are a foolish person. And the reason I tell you that is because that's what the Bible says about you. Psalms 14.1a says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This is the exact statement of an atheist and, that says, and of atheism that says there is no God. But now, secular humanists are changing it to a person who doesn't believe in God. And the reason they are changing it is because they realize scientifically You can't say there is no God, but you can't say I don't know if there's a God, okay? I think questions are good, and I think as long as we can talk about them, and I've had lots of people that are in my life that I talk to about this kind of stuff, 
And I think we can ask them uh, logically and intelligently and have great discussions as long as we don't uh, beat each other up over them, all right? So here's my last point, number three. There is a God. Now, I just said you can't say there is no God and you can, if you don't have all knowledge. So some of you would like to turn that on me and say uh, and ask, if you don't have all knowledge, how can you say there is a God? And that's a great question. I think you're, you're right. I don't have... I don't come close to all knowledge in any way, shape, or form. The average IQ is 95 in America. I probably have about a 30 IQ. I don't know. But I'm sure my knowledge retention is very low. And so how do I know there is a God? Well, let's take the illustration again that I gave to you earlier of a place and use a person this time. Let's say I know a person named Lois Dale Cotton. When I found out Lois's name was, middle name was Dale, she said, don't tell anybody. I'm sorry. It's too late. I said, oh, you're like Dale Rogers. She's, I said, that's cool. She said, no, it's not. But anyway, if I told you I know, I know there is a person named Lois Dale Cotton, then I would say to you, have you, uh, I would say to you have, you, have you met every person in the world if you told me there wasn't one? And, uh, I, how can you tell me there is no Lois Cotton? But I can tell you there is a Lois Dale Cotton because I've met her, I've talked with her, and she's become my best friend, and she's my wife. And the reason I can tell you there is a Lois because of those things. And I can tell you there is a God because I've met him, I've talked with him, and I know him, and he's my personal savior. I don't have to have met everyone in the world to prove that Lois Dale Cotton exists. I just have to have met Lois Dale Cotton. And it would be foolish for you to say Lois Dale doesn't, uh, Cotton doesn't exist unless you've met every person in the world. But it is not foolish for me to say that about Lois, and it's not foolish for me to say that about God. Over 2.2 billion people in the world today say they are Christians, they say they have met God, they talked with God, and they know him, and he is their friend. And I and 2.2 billion people on, planet, on the planet say, there is a God. Now, I've met many that claim to be atheists in my day, and we've had great conversations. And I've found after talking to many of them, they would have to say, as I've talked to them through these things that I've just talked to you about, they would say to me, well, maybe I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic. And I would say, so you believe there is a God? I believe there could be a God. And I say, well, I know him personally. Would you like to meet him? So let's go back to my psychology professor. As life would have it, Mr. Haig came down with ALS years later. And as the sickness progressed, my brother and his wife, Gail, started sharing Jesus with him. And each time they visited, his heart began to get softened. And he, he wanted to talk about Jesus. Each time my brother visited, he told me he'd walk in the door, Mr. Hake would be sitting in a chair, he'd have his hands out like this, and they'd fold him like this and say, pray for me and tell me about Jesus. Over and over again over the, the next couple of years, each time he visited, he'd walk in and he'd have his hands lifted out saying, pray for me. And before he passed, 
the guy who was an evolutionist, the guy who claimed to be an atheist, turned agnostic, became a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know if Pinky prayed or Gail prayed with him, but I know this. Mr. Hick thought that he was an atheist, but he realized there was a God. And I found this. There's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. My dad became a Christian in a foxhole. Everything was against him. He thought he was going to die. Called out. He said, he had a Gideon's Bible in his pocket. He said, God, if you're real, would you save us? And if you do, I'll serve you when I get home for the rest of my life. It's a great story, I think, maybe like yours, how God can reach out to anyone who's willing to come to him. And I just want you to know, you might have thought you were looking for God, but God's been looking for you all along. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You all look pretty familiar to me, but just might be somebody online watching as well. And maybe you're not serving God today. Maybe at one time you did. But today's your day where you know God's talking to you by the power of His Holy Spirit. And He's saying, today, I want you to know I've searched you out. I'm calling you by name. And I want you to know that I died for your sins. And I'm here to be your Savior today. And if that's you, you know God's calling on you. And you need a Savior today. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need Christ as my Savior. Raise him high if anyone's here like that. Okay, I don't see anyone here that's raising their hand. So I'm going to believe somebody out there in TV land is raising their hand. Let's all say this prayer together. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to sing a song here. And as we do, if I can have the prayer people come on up by the altar. If you need anything for prayer this morning, come up and get some prayer. He's a God who does miracles and wants to heal people. Let's